Yes, so uh, you can, um, at least for the moment, put aside your outline that you have in your worship folder because I'm not going to be preaching on that uh, topic this morning. And uh, we are, so it's important that we keep our brother Kelly, our pastor, in our prayers for his healing. And it's just so great to uh, have Brenda back in our midst again after being out so many weeks. She's been uh, having a t- t- such a difficult time, but the Lord's given her strength, and it's good to see her back today. Um, what a uh, what a circus we uh, seem to be living in in this particular time uh, in our uh, in our country in our nation. Uh, there's, uh, it's hard to know what to believe, hard to understand all the things that are happening. And it seems like uh, everybody is crying that the, they want their part, they want their thing done, they want to be sure that they're included. Nobody wants to be left out, uh, except right now maybe the Democrats. I don't know. They're just not saying much. But uh, the, the uh, and I didn't mean that as a slam. I mean that's just something they've said very publicly. They're not going to do anything right now. But what I'm, my point being here <clears throat> is that nobody likes to be left out. I didn't like being left out when I was a child. Uh, I always wanted to be a part of things with my friends and everything. And and it was. Um, uh, whenever we played games and so forth like that, or chose up teams, I always wanted to be chosen. I, and uh, I was just always hoped that I wasn't the last one chosen. But um, sometimes uh, that does happen, and sometimes you don't get chosen at all. Uh, this is uh, the, our scripture this morning deals with uh, this sort of a um, uh, a theme here. Uh, this burden of being left out. All right, and we're going to read this morning from Luke chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and then verses 22 to 30. So uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read this passage of Scripture. All right? <clears throat> Beginning... In verse 1 of chapter 13 of the Gospel according to Luke. There were present that season some who told him, meaning Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will always also likewise perish. Or those 18 on the Tower of Siloam, whom on the Tower of Siloam uh, fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. And he went through the cities and the villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. 
When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. Heavenly Father, as we seek to discern truth in this passage here, as we seek to hear you speak, Father, through your word today, may our hearts be open to every word. Lord, to each one, you speak according to their need. And we pray that your word shall be blessed and we shall be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, I, um, talking about this thing about being left out, I didn't like being left out. And uh, so I always tried extra hard to do things well and to do a good job at what I was doing. And when I was uh, finished high school, a group of my uh, buddies and I, we decided we were going to be the best. We were going to join the Marine Corps. And so, <laughs> hoorah. And uh, I said, well, you know, that's really good because uh, my dad was a career Navy man. And uh, the, uh, I know he knew he would be proud of me. Uh, going uh, in, uh, to boot camp and, and serving time in the Marine Corps. And so we went and went down there and we had, oh, we just had a glorious time in that boot camp down there. <laughs> I can tell you what. And I said, I think I've made a mistake. <laughs> but I worked hard, worked very hard. Uh, and uh, my hard work uh, was uh, rewarded, I guess. It paid off. I was made a squad leader. I got to serve as the right guide for the platoon for a time. I was made a supervisor on working parties when we went out on work details uh, to different places. And uh, a few weeks before final field, which is our inspection uh, prior to graduation, one of the drill instructors called me into his, we called it his hut there, his little room there off the side of the squad bay. And he said, Carlton, he said, I just want you to know that um, I think you've done a pretty good job, uh, your time here in boot camp. And so I have submitted your name for uh, a stripe for a PFC when you graduate from boot camp. Well, I tell you what, I said, well, Lord, thank, I have done it. I says, I have made it. And uh, my daddy is going to be so proud of me. Well, the day before final field, the drone instructor calls me back into the, uh, his um, hut there. He says, Carlton, he says, I hate to tell you this, but um, my request for your promotion has been uh, overridden. He said, words come down from command that we've got to meet a quota in this platoon here. And he said, unfortunately, you're not part of it. And uh, boy, I tell you what, 
that hit me kind of hard. I was really looking forward to that, that special recognition, you know, and walking out of boot camp with a stripe on my sleeve and uh, going up to Washington, D.C. and up there and, and knowing, knowing that good things lay ahead for me, sure enough, because I was in, starting to really enjoy the Corps. And, uh, but anyway, uh, it was a disappointment, big disappointment for me. When my daddy came down, I had written him and told him that I, I was going to be a PFC. And uh, he showed up there, and, and I told him, I said, well, it looks like things got turned around a little bit. And he said, that's okay, son. He says, I've talked to your drill instructor. And he says, he had, uh, uh, he said, that you've done it. He said, you did a good job. He said, he didn't have but one thing really to say that concerned me a little bit. He said, you were always the last man out of the mess hall. So, I tell you, there's always a little something you got to put up with there. But listen, uh, it was a burden. I felt that burden of being shut out of the, this group, special group of guys that were going to be uh, leaving boot camp with that stripe on their sleeve. Uh, but the burden that Jesus is speaking of here in this portion of Luke um, and he addresses this issue of uh, this burden of being left out. It's a lot greater than a young man who um, uh, trying to make PFC out of boot camp. Because this burden has eternal consequences to it. If uh, it addresses the issue of whether you'll be uh, entering the portals of heaven or whether you're going to be shut out to spend eternity in hell. And the question you need to ask yourself from this portion here of the scripture are these. Two important questions. He says, it is, have I truly been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ? And secondly, have I truly put my faith in him for my salvation? All right. Repeat these two questions. And we need to think seriously about these. And you'll see why as we move on here through this passage of Scripture. Once again, have I truly been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ? Have I truly put my faith in him for my salvation? Now, there are three things. I want to say to you this morning, okay, and uh, we'll have them up here on the uh, on the screen uh, as we get to each one. But I want to um, set these out for you right at the very beginning, right up front, three things that you have to do. And by the end of the service this morning, you must be convinced of these three things which Jesus is saying in this passage. Number one, I must repent or change my lifestyle. Number two, I must turn to Jesus, who is the narrow door in this passage. I must turn to Jesus to be saved. And the third thing is, it is urgent. It is urgent. So let's look at the first. Look at the first here. It says, I must repent of my lifestyle. Well, you know, I'm, in other words, I must change the way I'm living. I must change the way I think. I must change my attitude about other people, about the world, the way I see the world. You say, well, pastor, why should I do that? I mean, you know, I'm enjoying my life. Things are going well. I have everything planned. I have a good retirement account set up. Why should I change my lifestyle? Well, Jesus says in Verse 3 and verse 5 of this passage we read this morning, he said, unless you repent, you will perish. 
In other words, unless you change your mind, you're going to perish. Repent. The scripture tells us that in Acts 26 verse 20, that men should repent, turn to God, and do works fitting of repentance. Fitting repentance. So, if you have yet to come to Christ by faith for salvation, you're living outside the design and purposes of God. You hear what I said? If you have yet to come to faith in Jesus Christ, then you are now living outside the design and purposes of God for your life. It's called sin. Everything you do is centered around you. Everything you do is motivated by your own idea of your purpose in life. It's called sin. It's a life motivated by lust, by a desire for recognition, and by a desire for power, for greed. Folks, it's called sin. And as long as we are living in sin, we have no hope of pleasing God. We have no hope of coming to God. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 The Apostle Paul writes this. He said, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, folks, I've got to tell you that if you have yet to come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're in the midst of one of these things at least. You have only an earthly perspective. Your life is not God-honoring. It is undermining the very design and purpose that God created for you. It's a lifestyle of sin. Everything you are building, you will one day lose. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus has said we need to change our goal in life. Our goal is not for the things of this earth. Our goal is not to accumulate what we can here upon the earth. Our goal is to have a desire and a motivation and a purpose of pleasing Almighty God and worshiping Him every single day of our life. Jesus calls sinners, all sinners, every one of us, He calls to repent in order to enter into His kingdom because that is where He desires for us to be. When... um, I came across a piece, an article, an old one in my file uh, that uh, I thought was rather fitting that I'd like to uh, share with you. It's uh, it's pretty old. In fact, it's back in, uh, uh, well, uh, when Michigan played Wisconsin in basketball early in the season back in 1989. Now, some of you may remember that. All right. Um, Michigan's Rumiel Robinson stepped to the foul line for two shots late in the fourth quarter. His team trailed by one point. So Ramil could regain the lead for Michigan 
Well, he missed both shots, allowing Wisconsin to upset favored Michigan. Rumiel felt awful about costing his team the game. But his sorrow didn't stop at the emotional level. After each practice for the rest of the season, Rumiel shot 100 extra foul shots after each practice. 100 extra foul shots. So Rumiel was ready when he stepped to the foul line to shoot two shots with three seconds left in overtime in the national championship game. Swish went the first shot. Swish went the second shot. Those shots won Michigan the national championship. Now, folks, his repentance had been genuine. And sorrow had motivated him to work so that he would never make that mistake again. That's the repentance Jesus is calling for from every single one who desires to enter the kingdom of God. It's not just changing our direction just so that we might look good to other folks. It's not just saying, I repent so that we can come to the uh, front of the church and, and, uh, and say that uh, uh, we confess Jesus and, and uh, believe that God raised him from the dead. Those are words so easily spoken. But I need to tell you, and you need to understand if you do not already, that those words have content to them. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, he says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Well, let me tell you something about confession. When Paul was telling, writing to these folks there in in Rome about confession, they were sitting right there uh, in in, in sight of the emperor of Rome. And they were calling Christians. They were purposefully calling Christians, arresting them, bringing them before the emperor and say, bow before Caesar and confess him as Lord or you lose your life. This is the confession the apostle Paul was calling for. It's something where we take seriously that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord God Almighty of our lives. Well, the constant theme of our Lord's ministry uh, and his instruction, it related to life in his kingdom. Jesus wanted people to understand what kingdom life was going to be. Now, it's important also we understand that we can't possibly grasp the value of kingdom life We can't possibly understand all the blessings and all the things that are there for those who are in the kingdom of God because we don't have the spiritual aptitude to understand that. If you were without Jesus Christ here this morning, then I want to tell you there is a whole lot that you need to add to your understanding. And the first thing is that you need to confess Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. You need to repent. You need to turn from the way that you're living, and you need to confess Jesus Christ. As um, 
Jesus was ministering here. We see a verse in verse 22. Uh, he was going through the villages. He was confronted by this fellow who asked him a question. And uh, this fellow's question was, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? <laughs> you know, I wonder if Jesus thought here at that point was, now this fellow really gets it. Why is that? Why is that? Do you suppose that maybe this fellow was looking around and he was saying the way all these religious leaders there in Jerusalem and uh, the, the Judean countryside, all the way they were living and acting and the way they were treating the poor and the way they were scoffing and, and, and uh, pushing off those that were helpless? And then he heard what Jesus was saying? about loving God and loving each other and ministering to those where Jesus said, inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. You suppose it was beginning to click there? I think this fellow recognized that the point of Jesus' teaching was about salvation. Lloyd Stephan, he wrote uh, in um, Christian Century magazine some time ago about uh, how when uh, King Frederick II, he was an 18th century king of Prussia, was visiting a prison in Berlin. And the inmates tried to prove to him that they had been unjustly prisoned. I'm innocent. The cries all over the prison, everywhere he went. All of them except for one. This fellow sat quietly in the corner. While all the rest of them were protesting uh, their uh, innocence. And so seeing him sitting there, oblivious to all this commotion, the king asked him what he was there for. The fellow lifted up his eyes and he said, armed robbery, your, your honor. And the king asked him, were you guilty? Yes, sir. He answered, I entirely deserve my punishment. Well, the king then gave an order to the guard, release this guilty man. I don't want him corrupting all these innocent people here. (laughs) You see, God's salvation isn't just deliverance from unfulfillment or from dissatisfaction with life or from poverty or poor self-esteem. Folks, salvation is deliverance from God's wrath and his judgment into the safety and eternal blessing through the sacrificial death of his son, Jesus Christ. That's salvation. Having now been justified by his blood, Paul wrote in Romans 5, 9, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So the question was whether... Only a few were to be saved from divine judgment and eternal damnation in hell. Well, those folks that were in the crowds that Jesus was um, <clears throat> teaching, he was preaching to, they were they ran the gamut, you know, from those that were there out of pure curiosity, you know, to um, those that uh, were um, uh, very interested in uh, uh, very interested, genuinely saved believers. All right. But the question, though, this fellow's question, uh, 
probably voiced what some of his followers had to be thinking. And these Jewish people, you see, what they expected was that when the Messiah came, that uh, he would be welcomed by the entire nation, which would then uh, be, uh, would receive salvation. Messiah would establish his kingdom in which Israel would play a leading role. And in that kingdom, the curse would be removed and righteousness and peace would prevail. And also the Gentiles would be saved. And they'd come to see a Messiah reigning in glory on Mount Zion. But you notice here, Jesus didn't answer this fellow's question directly. You see, it's not important how many people are being saved. What matters to each person is that he or she be one of them. Instead of responding to the question of quality or quantity, Jesus focused on the quality of true believers' faith and gave a personal invitation to those present to come to salvation, the salvation that he was offering to them. So not only must I repent and turn from my worldly lifestyle and turn to God that I must also turn to Jesus, who is the narrow door, to be saved. Jesus said, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Hmm. His invitation was so different than uh, what uh, uh, we hear so often today. You know, it's... We live in this time of easy believism, and I don't know if it's on TV or maybe it's on your uh, maybe it's on your smartphone or on your iPad or your computer or wherever it may be. You can always get some preaching on there. Somebody's always issuing an invitation. Somebody's always wanting you to join their church. You see, and all you got to do is just say, "Yes, I believe in Jesus. Jesus, come into my heart." And you'll be saved. Well, folks, that kind of easy believism was precisely what Jesus did not have in mind. Because what Jesus was talking about was costly. His message was not that God loves everyone unconditionally and desires to connect with sinners and fulfill all their personal dreams and ambitions nor was his goal to manipulate people into making some sort of shallow commitment to him. This is not what God had in mind. Jesus' words are sobering, folks. They are threatening. They are frightening enough to produce panic in the heart of an unbeliever or a, heart, a person who becomes a penitent and thoughtful person. Because that person realizes in their true, the nature of their condition. That person there has come to the realization that they, that there's nothing in the world they can do in order to, to change their life. They don't have the strength. They don't have the ability. I'm, I'm lost. But that there is one person who can make that difference. And his name is Jesus. You know, true salvation comes only by God's grace. Now, 
and, and praise God for that because we are helpless. We are in a condition. We are in a place where there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. It has to be God who does it. No one can come to Christ unless the Father draws him, as John says in chapter 6, verse 44. Nor can anyone know the Father except those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You see, it's all God's work. Those who are dead in their sins can only be saved by God's grace, not their own efforts. But, listen, listen. Salvation is not apart from the will of the sinner. You see, you play a role in this. You have to make a choice. You're not just laying back there and you say, Lord, oh, save me, Lord, you know. And and he comes down and, and swoops you up and says, come into the kingdom, you know. You have to make a choice. You make a decision between how you've been living and how God wants you to live. You make a decision between whether or not you're going to be continue to be Lord of your life, which you're not anyway, or whether you're going to allow Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. So, those who are dead in their sins can only be saved by God's grace. But Paul says to these philosophers on Mars Hill in Athens that having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Now, these commands make it clear that sinners are responsible for the choices that they make and will be held accountable for not repenting and believing in the Savior. That's why Jesus says that we must enter through the narrow door. He is the door. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he says again in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the door. But... It's a narrow door. It's a narrow door. Strive to enter through the narrow door, Jesus said. That word is translated from a word which, from which we get the word agonize. Agonize. It's, it, you get the picture of having to, to squeeze through the door. You know, it's, it's, um, it's a word that's only used here in these gospels, but it, it means to fight, to compete, uh, like in an athletic contest or to struggle. And the fight or struggle that Jesus is speaking of here is the one of self-denial that produces real repentance. If anyone wishes to come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And then he added this paradoxical statement, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. The message of the gospel is not self-fulfillment. It's self-denial. And we cannot do it alone, folks. We cannot do it alone. God created his people, his family, his church, in order that we might be support for each other. That we might help each other through this world as we seek to, uh, to conform to the shape, be conformed to the shape that our God desires to make us into. The likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we have these ministries here at Kempsville Baptist Church. We have our, our men's ministry, which uh, meets regularly on Wednesday night. 
And by the way, I want to tell you that it would be very important for you to be present Saturday morning. On Saturday morning here at Kempsville Church, we're going to have a men's breakfast. And guys, we want you to be there. Okay? We're going to have, um, uh, let's see if I can, Alvin Battle. Is that right? Alvin Battle. Uh, Alvin Battle, he's, uh, it's in, it's in your worship folder here. I can't remember all the details, but he's going to share his testimony. He's going to tell people how basketball helped him come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to tell you, he's going to share testimony about what believing in Jesus Christ has done in his life. He's a kind, his men, he's a, has a kind of testimony that men need to hear. Ladies, our ladies meet on Wednesday night also for their Bible studies and their discipleship classes. You need each other. You need to be involved in those studies so that you can be supported, so that you can be strengthened by the fellowship and the prayers that come through being with each other and encouraged in your walk with Christ. We don't live on this planet by ourselves as, as Christians. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. So Jesus says that the requirement here is that you enter through the narrow door. It's a tight fit, folks. It's a tight fit. Why? Because we come to this door with a lot of baggage. Things that we have no business in the kingdom of God. A lot of old habits. Okay? A lot of, uh, things maybe that have gotten a grip on our hearts. Addictions. That we need to shed. That we need to help in getting rid of. And these kinds of things can be the hindrance, can keep you from entering that narrow door, from entering into the kingdom of God, unless you make that commitment to shed those things, to get rid of them, to allow Jesus to relieve you of the burden of these things in your heart. And he can do it, folks. Jesus said that there's going to be a lot that we'll seek to enter. But they're not going to be able to. They're not going to be able to because they've wasted their time. They've lost their opportunity. Jesus says the time is urgent. It's a time of desperation. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from or where you're from? You see, not only is the kingdom door narrow, but it can also be shut. And once Christ, who is the head of the house, gets up and closes the door, there's no more opportunity. No more opportunity. Scripture makes it clear that all the unredeemed are living on borrowed time. God declared that the sinful pre-flood world, remember, he said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever because he is also, he, because he is also flesh. Jesus told the parable about the rich and selfish fool who was greedily storing up the earth's treasures and failed to help Lazarus, okay, only to have God say to him, you fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. Be ready, Jesus says, because the Son of Man comes at a time when you do not know. Listen, folks, we don't know. We live on borrowed time. I remember back in 2011 when I went to the doctor 
And I told him, I said, well, you know, I've just been feeling kind of funny sometimes when I'm doing a lot of work out in the yard. I get out of breath. And he says, really? Well, let's check it out. They sent me down for a stress test. The doctor says, I don't like the way this thing looks. Something suspicious. So they sent me in. I ended up going for a heart cath. A cardiologist came out and he said, do you know you're living on bar time? He said, you're a walking heart attack. He said, I don't even want to let you go home. They did anyway on the promise that I wouldn't do anything. But the point is, I had no idea I was at that place. My friend, you can walk out this door with your family, get in the car, make it down to the intersection, get broadsided by someone driving under the influence. I read, had read a story not long ago about a man and his son who lost their lives. And the wife and children were left without them. You're living on borrowed time if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be ready. You need to be ready. Oh, it's going to be a terrible time. I want, I want to tell you something. <laughs> There's a lot of people in the church today that, uh, um, well, I'll just say this. I know a pastor that, uh, oh, about 10 years ago, he had a crisis in his life. And the Lord brought him to his knees. And he realized he had never been saved. Man had been in the pastorate over 20 years. And he thought he was saved. Folks, we got people in the church who teach Sunday school. They're here on the church on Sunday morning worship service every Sunday. They come on Wednesday nights. They serve on all kinds of teams, do things, maybe even go on mission trips. But if something doesn't happen, they're going to, when Jesus comes back, they're going to be knocking on that door and Jesus is going to say, I don't know you. Why? Because, you see, it's more than actions. It's more than just what we look like to others. It's more than just the things that we do in the church. It's about a relationship. It's having a personal relationship with the one that gives you life. And his life must be in you. So I'm here to tell you today that uh, if, if you don't want to wake up when the Lord comes back and find yourself outside and you look inside and you see all those folks that were in the church that you went to church with that are in there celebrating and having a good time at the Lord's table, you know, or and all those people that you thought were, you know, a little bit less than what you were huh? because you were such a faithful churchgoer. And they're going to be in there celebrating, and you're looking on from the outside. That's what Jesus meant when he said in here, See, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. All these Jews, all these good law-abiding Jews there. You know, that, that, this was whom Jesus was talking to. I mean, they went to synagogue every Sabbath day. They uh, gave offerings. They would go once in a while to the temple in Jerusalem, make sacrifices, all these kinds of things. They were doing, trying their best to keep the law, okay? And only to find out, they're going to find out that when the Lord shuts the door, they're going to be on the outside. And they're going to see, because they thought they were children of Abraham, Descendants of Abraham, 
that it was a cinch. I mean, it was a sure thing for them. They were going to be ushered right into the kingdom of God. And they're going to find out they're locked out. They're going to see all those those uh, lepers that were along the roadside. They're going to see them sitting at the Lord's table in the kingdom of God. And they thought that they were just outcasts, sinners. It's going to be, it's going to be shock and awe. I'll tell you. And so it's up to you. You need to make a decision. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ today, it's time for a decision. You don't know. You're on borrowed time. You don't know how much longer you have. And so I urge you, we're going to give an invitation here. In fact, I'm going to give it to you right now. All you need to do is realize who you are, that you are a sinner, and that there is no hope for you except through Jesus Christ. And that if you are willing to deny, place Jesus above all this other stuff that you've been trusting in and and holding on to and grabbing hold of and trying to your best not to lose. If you will let Jesus become first and put that out, that Jesus will receive you into his kingdom. Will you make that decision this morning? And all you need to do is just say in your heart, Lord Jesus Christ, I am indeed a sinner. And Lord, I want The life that you gave me. Not this life. I want the good life. I want the life that you promised, Lord. And I want you to come into my life and make it real. If you'll do that this morning, you'll just come forward. Oh, my goodness. The angels in heaven will rejoice. Perhaps you're here this morning and and you're looking for a church home. I want to invite you to come. We pray the Lord is leading you to come here and worship with us. If not, if it's someplace else, let us know. We'll be glad to pray with you that the Lord will give you sure direction on where he wants you to be. Because that is where we want you to be. Exactly where God wants you. So the invitation is open to you. Will you respond this morning? Will you make the choice? Will you come? Do it today as we stand and sing.